What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. I am Mike. Obviously, this is my 47th podcast episode. Hopefully, won't be my last. Baseball is back. Major League opening day, minor league opening day. I am back. Did not have an episode for you guys last week. I was down at WrestleMania and between logistics, and I actually had a pro wrestling-related guest that was going to come on, but it fell through and a whole bunch of stuff. Whatever. Uh, That's inside baseball, pun intended, because this week I'm back with a vengeance, and I am talking to, I have his fancy title here, he's the Broadcasting and Media Relations Manager or the play-by-play guy, however you want to do it, for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, John Nolan, my old buddy. John, how's it going? Hey, Mike. It's going well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, For those of you who don't know the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, they are the Class A, or one of the Class A affiliates of the San Diego Padres, my former employer, out in the Midwest League. And everyone was talking this past week about Major League Baseball opening day. But me, being a former minor league play-by-play guy myself... I feel like, you know, the minor leaguers don't get the same kind of hype and coverage that they should because it's opening day for you guys, too. So, John, you guys already kicked off the season, right? So you're, you're, you're in the mode. You're on the road already, I think, right? Where are you talking to me from? Yes, we are currently talking from Bowling Green, Kentucky, after our opening day, which was uh, yesterday. Man, so starting on the road, welcome to the 2017 minor league baseball season. Um, Well, John, the way we start off every show, no matter who I talk to, I like getting things off on a good foot, and I like doing that by asking, what's the best thing that happened to you in the last week? So lay it on me. Thanks. I knew this was coming, and I I was hoping by the time that we had scheduled this that I'd have something maybe, you know, altruistic to offer, like... I, I just spent uh, a fantastic day at a, at a soup kitchen or went on a mission trip. Oh, so you've uh, been listening to the podcast no. <laughs> and you knew I got to do try and do something ahead of time. <laughs> but no, I, I, I guess I'll go with more of a selfish approach here and say that uh, just getting the season started um, is probably the most, uh, most exciting thing that has happened this week. Um, 140 games in 152 days. It's uh, somewhat daunting, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Uh, brings excitement and so uh i'm really glad to to have baseball season here that's awesome man so this now is your fifth season with fort rain wayne right and it's what your fourth as the as the number one guy you're like three and a half or so um i started with the tin caps in 2013 as the number two broadcaster under mike cousins and that's mike cousins rather than my cousin um not a case of nepotism, right? More, well, unless you count being a fellow Syracuse alum as right. that, which it, it might be. Well, hey, we're um, learning nepotism yeah. is the way to get ahead in America these days. So there's nothing wrong with that if anyone out there, you know, goes that route. But yeah, continue there, John. Yeah, and so uh, I originally was the number two in Fort Wayne under Mike, and then in 2014, uh, Mike moved on to work full time for ESPN. May have uh, seen him on coverage of college football, basketball, to the NCAA wrestling championships not long ago. Uh, but anyway, Mike moved on, and I got to benefit from that by taking over the full-time role uh, in Fort Wayne. No, that's awesome stuff, man. So, yeah, you're basically Mr. Tin Cap at this point. You're almost, uh, yeah, five years plus uh, out there. So you're ingratiating yourself well. Yeah, I, I won't use that title, Mr. Tin Cap, though. We actually have a fan who refers to himself as such has it on the back of his jersey that he wears at nearly oh, okay. every game so we don't want uh, to that title on that then. that title is taken oh, all right we'll leave uh, that title is taken but uh <laughs> yeah i've uh 
I've been very, I've been very fortunate to have found a, a nice spot uh, in Fort Wayne. And like, as you referred to, we kind of go back to, uh, to New Jersey, uh, Middlesex County, specifically central Jersey. Um, uh, so yeah, growing up, I would never really have probably imagined that I'd be spending several years out in Fort Wayne. And yet, uh, it's funny how life can work out that's, and, uh, work out well. That's what minor league baseball does and trying to work in broadcasting. It's what it does. I mean, it took me to Anderson, South Carolina and Hickory, North Carolina and San Diego and all over the place. And it's just, that's, it's part of the gig. It's like you say, um, yes, we did. Uh, we grew up in the same part of Jersey. We both went to Syracuse. So we'll get to plenty of that stuff later. But, uh, the main reason John, I wanted to have you on was because me having lived uh, your life for a very brief amount of time, I know that the life of a minor league broadcaster is so unique and so crazy and such a, a strange story that I don't think it's enough coverage. Like, everyone knows about the major league play-by-play guys, and you go to Awful Announcing, and they rank the local guys, or you have everyone talking about, you know, Joe Buck on the World Series, that kind of stuff. But there are literally hundreds of guys like you who have such incredible stories. So uh, that's why I wanted to have you on. That, now, so, so, <laughs> incredible use, pretty pretty use, uh, loosely there, at least in my case <laughs> in particular. Well, we'll let the audience be the judge of that by the end of this episode. Um, so I want to get just kind of talk about the whole lifestyle in general and what it's like down there, because I'm sure a lot of fans don't really realize how different it is and how similar it is sometimes broadcasting. Uh, in the minors compared to the big leagues. So let's start with this. I always thought that personally it was harder to be a single A play-by-play guy than a major league baseball play-by-play guy. And I can explain my rationale, but before I do, would you agree or disagree or have no thought? Well, I have, I would say I have thoughts. Uh, I think in some ways, yes. Uh, other ways, no. Um, I'm not going to try to tell major league broadcasters that, uh, We've got it harder than them. But one, one in an obvious area, um, or a couple of things that jump out, is that if you're a big league broadcaster, you're more likely than not, uh, you can kind of just, you're doing preparation, but you can show up and your focus is just on the game, whereas most minor league broadcasters have ancillary responsibilities. Um, so their, their day may start in the morning and there's tasks that need to be taken care of. And then once you've finish up uh, those responsibilities, then you hopefully still have time to prepare for broadcasting the game rather than that being a singular focus. And then uh, another way in which uh, a unique challenge, especially here at the low A level, even more so than double A, triple A, is that so many of these guys um, are really unknowns. And so whether they're out of high school or college or international players, there haven't necessarily been many feature stories that on these guys. In some cases, there aren't even many stats to go off of them. Uh, so you need to almost do the research to be able to, to tell their story for the first time. And then especially for guys who go on to, to really make it, then more and more stories will get out there about them. But dealing with uh, more of an unknown uh, commodity. I mean, it was all that and more. Like, I remember, and I worked uh, single A as well, like the one year that I was in affiliated baseball, and I did a year of unaffiliated also. And that's the thing. It's like, it's players, you have, you have no idea anything about them. I would go into locker rooms for the opponent to talk to that day's starting pitcher. Like, hey, man, just what do you throw? Like, what are the three pitches in your arsenal? Because I can't find anything about you online. Whereas by the time you're in the majors, you have scouting reports and you have minor league track records 
or you have you know veterans that have been in the bigs for years that you can base it on. Uh, but to your other point, like, I remember game prep, getting charts ready and stuff, and it starts raining, and you got to leave that all behind. Hey, Mike, come on, help us out, pull the tarp on the field. Like that's all stuff that you have to deal with. That you know those prima donnas at the big leagues, uh, I say firmly, <laughs> tongue in cheek, uh, don't have to deal with, but. Um, yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, and, and a lot of times I imagine you're going solo. You don't have a color guy. Uh, you have no spotters, like, looking for people in the crowd. It's uh, the media guides and the game notes are very hit or miss, depending on where uh, you're <laughs> yeah. visiting. I'm sure you can, uh, you can relate. Uh, the press box food, I'm sure, is not the, that you know, great major league level some places either. Um, so, obviously, the accountability is not the same as it is at the big league level, but I don't think a lot of people realize just how many more responsibilities and sort of obstacles you got to deal with. Yeah, and to be clear, though, I wouldn't, wouldn't complain about oh, it. Of course, because, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> they're certainly not, uh, still not the most uh, difficult obstacles that uh, you can encounter. And, and then the payoff is that you, do, you get to have a seat um, – Calling calling action for uh, for baseball and seeing so many young young players who hopefully move on uh, and can achieve their dreams of making the major leagues and, and if not they're still having a great opportunity to get to play in front of uh, in front of fans and even if they're not paid enough uh, get paid to do it. Yeah, I just had uh, I had the homeless minor leaguer Matt Pere on a previous episode yeah. uh, earlier this year, and he you can listen to that one. Go to MikeJanella.com or subscribe on iTunes uh, to hear about the player side of it. But I mean, to be honest, I do. I mean, I've had a lot of jobs in my career, and my time doing play by play was some of the most exciting I ever had. Just because there's nothing like, yeah, going through all that prep and all that uh, quote unquote hardship. But then in the bottom of the ninth, when there's a runner on second and the home team singles up the middle and he's coming around third with the center fielder gearing up for a play at the plate, like those are the moments that make it all worth it. At least for me, I really miss that. So I'm jealous that you get to do that still uh, for a living. Yeah, that, that adrenaline rush, that natural high is something that I haven't really found another way to, uh, to create outside of getting to call games. At least not legally. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. Uh, I know. I know you've got the explicit rating here on, on your podcast, but we'll, we'll still save those no, stories for no, another time. Yeah, John. John is living a PG life as he should. Um, so, so talk to me about about your game prep. Like, uh, obviously, uh, you major league broadcasters you see oftentimes on their social media will put up uh, their spot charts or their scorebook or some of the prep they're doing, pregame interviews, that kind of thing. What's it like for you? When at what point of the day do you start prepping? What do you have in front of you when you're in the broadcast booth? What do you do? What's it like to get ready for first pitch? And one thing, uh, this is true in multiple regards, but I'm uh, really lucky to be in Fort Wayne, which is uh, considered to be one of the preeminent organizations in all of minor league baseball, not even just at the single A uh, level, but out of all 160 teams from rookie ball all the way up through triple a. Um, and so Fort Wayne, we have uh, more resources maybe than, uh, than other single a teams. So for example, I'm not always solo, um, in our broadcasting and media relations department. Uh, I have, uh, an assistant this year, Michael Tricarico, who's another Syracuse guy. Uh, and I've been lucky to work in the past with Kevin Fitzgerald and Mike Monaco too. So, uh, we're a team and we also have, uh, another broadcaster, Mike Moz, who will call games with us. Um, so I'm not always a one-man band, so it definitely helps to, uh, to get more done when you've, when you've got more hands around. Uh, so on a typical game day, though, let's say if we're, we're at home, how do we get to the ballpark at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning? 
Uh, rest of our uh, staff, uh, a lot of folks are in at nine o'clock for a meeting to get everyone. Um, but coming off of road trips and stuff, I am fortunate to get a couple extra hours of sleep. And just gear up for showtime, game time, typically going to be uh, 7.05. And a couple of the tasks that we have as broadcasters, uh, one is uh, compiling stats, not just for ourselves, but also for the coaching staffs. Uh, I don't know if fans are aware of that. Uh, and it's, that may change going forward because here in 2017, I'm pretty sure the coaches through the, the major league teams probably have way more resources than uh, – than broadcasters do to compiling stats from online, but you put those together and provide uh, coaches with information on situational matchups, uh, et cetera. Uh, and then another, another main responsibility to get out of the way is what we call our game notes, media notes. So in there, statistical information, uh, updating on a daily basis, but then also storyline information. So whether that's about a new prospect who's been added to the roster to provide some ground information on them or you know who's uh who's been hot of late or interesting uh interesting stories like you know players got a brother on the other team something of that nature uh you know it can take a couple hours to, to put all that together um in my case i also helped manage our, our social media account so yes there's more and more going on there on a, a regular basis as a broadcaster, we're getting the uh, lineups from the managers and then distributing that around to both coaching staffs, uh, media, even fans. Uh, and then along the way, uh, hopefully I have time to, uh, to fill in the scorebook and then uh, pencil in some uh, storylines. In the case of Fort Wayne, we have all of our home games broadcast on local TV. So I'm also uh, coordinating with our producer in terms of creating graphics for our TV broadcast and uh, different elements that we're going to have there. Um, so almost like a production role too. So hopefully uh, in, along the way there, there's also time to maybe grab something to eat. <laughs> not not important. Lunch, pregame, not, not maybe important. <laughs> uh, try, try to try to balance, uh, balance a little bit, get out for a run or a workout or something like that, and then take a breath and uh, be ready for first pitch. And like you said, uh, pregame interviews and, you know, different – different content creation uh, depending on the day too. And I guess I kind of glossed over it. You never know what's going to pop up. So maybe one day there's a press release that needs to get out about our mascot making an appearance uh, in the community. Uh, new player comes in. He's got to get his, uh, his photo taken for the video board. Uh, every day it winds up uh, presenting something, uh, something unique. Um, but I guess some of the core stuff uh, is the, the preparation uh, for the game. No, it's incredible the number of hats that everyone in minor league baseball has to wear. I mean, general managers who of teams who will be out at the tarp or making calls for season ticket renewals. You know, the broadcaster doing all the stuff you just mentioned. It's it's a team effort, unlike anything any business I feel like I've ever experienced. So that's just a small taste of it that you were able to just give us right now. It's incredible. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, again lucky that. I think more so than some others uh, in Fort Wayne, I can uh, can make sure that I'm working towards the broadcast. Whereas a lot of guys are, are doing doing sales, whether ticket sales or corporate sales uh, on a game day, or uh, have a, some other kind of task uh, that, that they've got to get done that really takes away from the focus of uh, of calling the game, which is the most enjoyable part and what I 
personally do want to continue to uh, to develop that. But to have the opportunity to do that, there are other things that that need to be taken care of too. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very well put, one hundred percent. Talk to me about so one other thing you didn't even mention, and it's half of your season is the travel. And I'm sure that there are times where it's very burdensome. You've got a however many hour bus ride at like midnight from one town to the next. Uh, how, what's what's the road like for you? How do you specifically deal with the grind of minor league baseball travel? Because that's something that the folks that are in the front office don't have to do on a regular basis, but you do. Well, uh, first off, I'm I'm trying to make my best effort here to to get through. I know I won't be able to get through the whole season, but at least to get through the first week of the season without using the word grind, because I think from uh, players <laughs> such a, and such broadcasters, a cliche, yeah. <laughs> players, players, coaches, managers, broadcasters alike, that word is probably used more so than any other when talking about the life in minor league baseball or even up in major league baseball. Um, <laughs> it's funny, but it's yeah, true. Not, it's true. Uh, again, I, I think in Fort Wayne, I've got it better than uh, better than others in that. The Tin Caps are in the Midwest League, which is a 16-team league divided into an Eastern Division and a Western Division. And so the bulk of our schedule is coming against teams in the East, most of whom we're within a few hours from. I know in other minor leagues, uh, the travel can be a lot more uh, burdensome than it is for us, whereas we've got uh, a couple of trips that are just in the two-hour range, some others that are only three or so hours away. And the worst one in, in our division is down into Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is in the, the neighborhood of a six-hour ride. Um, but you go into the Texas League, uh, the Northwest League, you're, you're looking at rides that can be maybe uh, 10 or more hours on occasion. Um, so, And also, I'm 5'9", so for me to uh, get comfortable on a bus, and comfortable is maybe not even the right word, but I can get by, whereas uh, in the case of uh, players and maybe taller broadcasters, you know, if you're someone who's 6'4", I, I don't know how you, you get by and you do wind up seeing players who are just laying uh, in the aisleway on the bus um, and try, trying to sleep that way from time to time. But, yeah, it's not uh, it's not ideal having to spend uh, hours at a time on the bus. Uh, knock on wood, I've, I've never endured any true horror story. I know multiple teams that have had uh, breakdowns on the side of the road, yep, delaying them for yep. hours. Uh, even really on the scarier side, there was uh, – a year or two ago, there was a pretty bad uh, bus crash involving a team that uh, put some guys literally on the disabled list. Um, so yeah, not uh, I, you do you run into like you know the Wi-Fi on the bus never reliable, so you, it's can be tough to be uh, can be tough to be productive uh, for those stretches. Um, and yeah, probably not the healthiest to to sometimes be pulling in at four o'clock in the morning and then you still don't have a day off for. Uh, for more than a week or two, um, so the sleep pattern can be uh, can be erratic. But again, it's just a, a small price to pay for uh, the overall reward of the uh, of the gig. Yeah, consider yourself lucky. We had one trip. It was a ten hour ride back in the uh, the independent uh, South Coast League, where we had a flat tire on the bus at two a.m. <clears throat> And uh, no repairman was able to come out for at least an hour. So this is this is yeah. pre-smartphones too. This is like 2007. So we're all just sitting what? there for like an hour and a half in the middle of the Florida swamp at two or three in the morning, and uh, waiting for a bus. And man, I miss those days sometimes, John. Let me tell you. Um, did you uh, go yeah, ahead? In a twisted way, right? Did what? Did you did you bring a 
some newspapers with you to have crossword puzzles to solve or well, uh, back in the day before smartphones i would actually subscribe to real magazines and i would just like load up on them so i would have you know three the last three men's healths and sports illustrated and esquires and i would save them for long road trips so i would literally in my bag would have like all my broadcasting equipment and then 10 <laughs> magazines just in case so luckily wow. that night i was able to to get by with that but uh, yeah, pre-iPhones would have been a game changer back then, uh, back in my day. Uh, but now, yeah. uh, I guess it's a little bit easier, but still uh, very strenuous. Like you said, messes up the sleep patterns, the food availability, the options you have at two in the morning when yeah. you get into a hotel—that's not good either. Like uh, you got to really do, like. I mean, do you take measures to kind of live a, as healthy a lifestyle as possible with all this stuff you're working against? Yeah, and, that, and it is a mixed bag when you go on the road. Uh, for those who uh, are unaware, in minor league baseball, each team uh, partners up with a local hotel, and hopefully it's a hotel rather than a motel, but <laughs> that happens too. Uh, so there's a discounted rate for the teams that, that come in to stay, so you, you kind of run the gamut where you get – sometimes you're staying at a Courtyard Marriott or a Crown Plaza, or, you know, nice – accommodations but then there's the other end of the spectrum too where you're maybe checking the uh checking the bed sheets for uh for bed bugs before <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna before name any specific in. hotels but <laughs> no, I hear <laughs> no no not at all uh, and then yeah like we in terms of the, the health factor uh the food availability that is tough um because some some spots you're off the, uh, off the highway and there's only a burger king and a gas station within walking distance and uh yeah, I've been. Uh, I will try to at times maybe bring a, a little uh, you know, cooler with me to, to have some food prepared ahead of time. But smart. I, I wish I, I wish I was better at that though because um, at times you know you're not you're not making the time to, to get to the grocery store and to to try to do any kind of meal prep. So then you're just stuck with whatever you can have, and the late night options aren't going to be the healthiest. Um, so yeah, I, I am cognizant though of the fact that it it's a slippery slope and you can uh, you can kind of delve into a pretty between the sleep, the eating, um, not making time to, to exercise. It can be dangerous. Um, so I am uh, I am uh, I'm aware of that and try to uh, battle against it and uh, stay uh, stay strong through the season. And those hotels, the key cards always have like the three pizzas for $5 yeah. domino deal. It's just so enticing at midnight when you get in. It's almost like they're trying to get you in a trap. And I greatly appreciate the teams that offer you uh, a chance to order off of their their sweet menu or the teams that even just I mean more and more ballparks now do offer some uh, some better options. So if you can you can grab a salad as opposed to uh uh, you know, another burger um, <laughs> or chicken, chicken fingers and fries, you know, when possible, uh, you know, look to try to take care of the body. Uh, no, for sure. Uh, plus, when you're like traveling with these professional athletes who sometimes look like, you know, magazine models, it, it makes you question your your life habits. Uh, at least it did for me uh, back when I was when I was doing that. Um, what about the guys, John? Because this was something that I always found like a tricky balance and, and people would ask me about it when I was. Uh, doing play-by-play in the minors, my early 20s, I was the same age as most of these guys that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And there's that temptation to try and socialize and fraternize and kind of be friends with these guys as opposed to, I think, when you get to higher levels of baseball, maybe you're a bit older than the players. You treat them them more separately um, because they are your job. Do you find that difficult in dealing with guys who maybe are – 
your same demographic. They like your same music, your same TV shows. They're with you hours a day. Is it hard sometimes to kind of separate guys that you're friends with, that you spend hours with, and guys that this is just your work? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, one, I might not even be cool enough to hang. Uh, <laughs> but then also, I, 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 do, I do definitely try to uh, to maintain that professional relationship. Um, you know, listening, listening to the older guys going back to Vince Scully, you know, the don't fraternize with uh, players. I think that, um, yeah, I'm not looking to, uh, I'm not looking to put myself in a, Oh, as a team, being a team's broadcaster is different than being, uh, let's say a team's beat writer mm-hmm. where like, let's face it. I am on you as a broadcaster. You are on the bus. You, you're not necessarily reporting, um, because you know, if you did report everything that you saw, then <laughs> then there, there'd probably be uh, there could be issues. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so not necessarily trying to report, but I mean, honestly, you know, we were talking about how it's a long season and you're trying to stay healthy. Like, I'm not looking to go out drinking after games with players because uh, I just don't have uh, I wouldn't have the energy to do that. But then I I do think you would be uh, I don't know that would be a, a slippery slope um, again too buddy buddy because. I do try to try to be I'm going to be a little bit biased towards towards the team that I'm working for, but at the same time want to be somewhat impartial. Um, so, yeah, I'm not trying to uh, to become best friends with guys. I don't know what your experiences were like, but I, mean, I tend to, if anything, gravitate towards the guy that you can you know have an interesting conversation with. Um, about something maybe non baseball related or, or learn something about the game of baseball, then uh, spending too much time uh talking about escapades right no for sure i mean i I learned my lesson not the hard way but you know the first year i was in the indies and it was much more loose and lax than affiliated ball and uh yeah you go out and grab beers with guys because you think uh, you want to be cool with the players and then uh you know you're critical about them on the broadcast after a bad performance they come up to you like what the hell man i thought we were pals and then you start getting that slippery slope that you're talking about so uh, very early on in my career i learned that you got to keep those standards yeah, and uh, quite frankly, here at the low A level, I think more than half of our team uh, is not of legal drinking age. So that would a bunch be of seventeen-year-olds not, uh, <laughs> not to put myself in that situation because I would not want to be uh, want to be caught uh, get with anyone getting in trouble. Yeah. So I would steer uh, clear of any uh, any sort of situation like that. Not that anyone would ever try to drink before they turn twenty-one, but. Um, you know, in that hypothetical. Right. Yeah. Theoretically speaking, exclusively. Uh, No, especially working in the Padres organization, AJ Preller just signing every 16 year old he could last year. Like, yeah, you have a lot of guys that are going to be very young for a very long time. Um, How'd you get the job, John? A lot of people maybe don't know how you break into minor league broadcasting, but how, how did you get this gig and and any recommendations for people that maybe are looking to do it themselves? I think there's no there's no one right answer for anyone who's looking to get into into broadcasting. There are many different paths. Um, it's funny because as a sports fan, I've never really been big on Alabama football or Kentucky basketball. You know, it seems like they get every every All American recruit they want. Um, yet, I suppose, you know, I sort of I understand why those guys go to Alabama and to Kentucky because they think that's 
going there gives them the best opportunity to to become a professional at what they want to uh, what they want to do. And I, I see where you're going. Did, right? I see but where you're going with what, this. So <laughs> what we did by going to Syracuse, uh, which is known to have produced more sports broadcasters than any other place. So by going to Syracuse, um, you receive a fantastic education there, but you know maybe the most. Uh, most valuable part about the uh, tuition that you're paying is the, the network of people that you get to know who are, are in the industry. And so I had mentioned before that I'd come out to Fort Wayne to work with Mike Cousins. He was a couple years ahead of me at Syracuse when I was a student there. And so he was someone who, when he graduated and I was still in school, I kept in touch with, and it worked out that he had pretty quickly after graduating attained the number one job in Fort Wayne. And when I was uh, in my senior year, I wanted to pursue a play-by-play opportunity and just the way the calendar works um, coming out of school baseball's really the only option that you have uh, for starting off right away as far as play-by-play goes and I was uh, lucky enough I, I'm sorry if I'm overusing lucky and fortunate but uh, as lucky long enough as, as long as you're not using grind we're fine <laughs> yes thank you thank you uh, so yeah Mike needed a, a number two I applied for that and uh fortunate that uh that i got the opportunity to to work with him and then have uh have stayed since so as far as i mean anyone an advice you know it helps to know people but you know to know people you need to build i would say uh not to be preachy but you want to build relationships not just use the word network with people um so like i had kept in touch with mike asking him about what his experiences were like just out of school and what was like broadcasting in minor league baseball if i had not communicated with him for a couple years time after he had left and to when I applied I don't think I necessarily would have been in the situation that I was yeah and uh, and of course just go to Syracuse that's the number one tip uh, this is <laughs> yeah, I mean that opens up more doors than other places <laughs> I love that we are now uh, comparing ourselves to Alabama football and Kentucky basketball uh, it's true though I mean I've, I had four play-by-play gigs uh, baseball in my life and three of them came from people I had met or networked through at school. So uh, it's very true. SI Newhouse, there you go. There's your, uh, your free plug from the Mike Janela show. Um, is, uh, <laughs> is the majors the goal eventually still, John, or do you not even think that far ahead? It is, yeah, it is tough sometimes at this point now as far as goal setting goes because when you're, you're starting off – and even going back to when I was in school, it's easy to come up with, I think, micro goals. So as a student, you're thinking, all right, I want to get my first chance to be on air. And then I want my first chance to do play-by-play. And then you're probably starting out for play-by-play like a women's basketball, women's lacrosse. Then you're trying to get to the play-by-play of men's sports. And then it's, uh, let me get my first job out of school. Uh, and in play-by-play broadcasting, that's probably not a full-time job. So then it's, let me get my first full-time job. And now uh, that's the situation I'm in, and now, yeah, trying to figure out a way to navigate uh, higher up the ranks. Certainly, uh, certainly not easy. There's no clear paths, but yes, I would. I still uh, aspire to broadcast in the big leagues, or if not in Major League Baseball, the big leagues in terms of you know other professional sports um, at the highest level or big time college athletics. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can get there uh, one day. Hey, man, we're all rooting for you. Uh, yeah, the players are not the only prospects in minor league baseball. There are all the people working on the mic and behind the scenes that are looking for that, uh, that big break someday as well. So wishing you the best. Um, 
And speaking of those prospects, I mean, obviously I'm sure a lot of Padres fans are listening because they, they know that you're a guy who's seeing their future before them. Who are you most excited to see this season? What prospects on the Tin Caps roster are you most pumped to see that you think maybe Padres fans will be excited about in a, a year or two or three? Yeah, and I, I would tell Padres fans that there seems to be there seem to be many reasons to be pumped up about the future. I know it's tough to uh, to endure the losing at the big league level uh, as it is now, and you know we can speak as guys who grew up as Mets fans, so we've uh, we've gone through this before. Uh, but there can be light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, as far as this 2017 Tin Caps uh, squad to open up the year, Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the uh, the most highly regarded prospect that we have to start. So the son of the former big leaguer, he's only 18 years old. Uh, he's starting at shortstop. I'm not comparing him to Alex Rodriguez uh, in terms <laughs> of his ability, but he's a shortstop who's 6'3", and since he's 18, I think he's still growing. Um, but on opening night, looked really smooth and turning a double play there at short, and is he's a lot bigger than his dad was, and he's got some pop in the bat too, I know. First day at the ballpark uh, before the season started here in batting practice, uh, he was he was hit him as far as we've seen anyone hit him in Fort Wayne uh, in the ballpark's nine-year history. Hit him to places where even in batting practice you're not seeing uh, balls get out. So you know, batting practice to uh, play under the lights, a little bit of a different story, but uh, seems to have seems to have the makeup and uh, the promise to be really a uh, really fun guy to watch. All right, keep an eye on him. Yeah, and that trade that happened, uh, the James Shields trade last year. And yes. You, you, you trade for projectability, and yeah, 18, six foot three. that's a very projectable frame that you like to see. Um, all right, John, before we get to our last couple segments here, which if you've heard the show before, you know what's coming, uh, we have one question on Twitter from Larry the Vendor Guy, who you probably know well out there in Fort Wayne. He wants to know, what's your favorite part of being a part of the Tin Caps organization. And what do you like most about Fort Wayne? You've been there now so many years, Jersey boy out in the Midwest. So uh, how would you answer Larry's questions? So, yeah, as I said before, the Tin Caps are considered not just uh, a really well-run franchise for single A, but in all of minor league baseball. Um, Last year, actually, minor league baseball gives out an award so just one out of the 160 franchises for organizational excellence. And the Tin Caps uh, earned that honor in 2016, the Johnny Johnson President's Award. So it's an amazing place to work. I am lucky to have a really just better than you can uh, believe uh, co-workers in the front office staff. Um, so that's where, you know, coming to a new place, it's been easy to uh, fit in because of the people that I get to work with. Uh, not to mention then the players and coaches uh, during the season too. My favorite thing though would be just then the the fan support that the Tin Caps get and the fact that you know sellout after sellout, especially uh, in the summer when we finally get uh, get the nice weather in Fort Wayne, the energy in the ballpark when you got to sell out a crowd. And uh, Larry, the vendor guy, who as the name would suggest, is a vendor at Parkview Fields. Uh, he helps to, uh, to fire up the fans, too, so that, that certainly adds to the atmosphere. Um, and then I guess Larry, like a, like a capital J, going with a two-part question there. What was the, uh, the second part? Uh, it was, what do you like most about Fort Wayne, the, the city in general? Fort Wayne. Yeah. As I, I guess I would sort of overlap that since most of my uh, most of my things in Fort Wayne are, are with Tin Caps baseball, <laughs> sure. um, so I think I think it's great that uh, that the the city supports the team so much. But yeah, and, and for anyone uh, 
anyone listening outside, you probably hear Fort Wayne. Okay, it's like a medium, small sized, uh, rust belt city. Well, Fort Wayne right now, as a city, has a lot of momentum going for it. The downtown area is really growing, and so the ball, our ballpark is downtown. I live downtown, so I, as far as the city goes, I think it's really cool how downtown is uh, is a really vibrant and, uh, and growing community. Awesome, man. Well, there you go. And yeah, if you didn't like it, you wouldn't be there, uh, you know, season after season. I know that from personal experience, from talking to people that, you know, make it a, a directive to, to get out as soon as possible. So uh, an endorsement, a John Nolan endorsement for the city of Fort Wayne and the Tin Caps as well. Um, all right, John, it's time. And uh, you've heard the podcast before, so you know what's coming. And we start with uh, turning the tables. Before we get to the fun five about you, you get to turn the tables and ask me any question about me if you'd like. So if you want, fire away. Boy, I should have uh, I should have taken some time away from uh, my game prep here recently to uh, come up with a, a better <laughs> no, question. But I no, I you should no, you should have. You're fine <laughs> this week. Um, I guess for you, how about do you ever look to get back into uh, to play by play, or what led you to, to go down a different path? Uh, yeah, good question. Because I'm especially like I said earlier, it was probably the most exciting job I've ever had. I mean, the reason I got out were the same reasons a lot of guys I think get out. It's a tough life to sustain uh salary wise and uh commitment wise and for me uh when i got out it was mainly to move back closer to home and i was still trying to find play-by-play jobs around the northeast it's just much harder to do because most of the teams up here are higher up uh, instead of you know lower a jobs which are more maybe readily available and easily easy to get uh at this point unfortunately i don't see myself getting back into it just because I feel like the competition is so thorough now and there's so many good guys who've been doing it, like yourself, for years, where if I come back now after like seven or eight years away, it's like, who's this clown trying to call games again? Um, but I mean, who knows? You know, I'd love to. You see guys that have uh, other jobs in media that get a play-by-play gig thrown their way just because they prove they're good enough at studio hosting or other stuff. So if ever I get an opportunity like that, yeah, I'd love to try it again. But uh, I'm not sure if I'll be going out of my way to kind of uh, jump back in a, in a position like yours. My, uh, my, my runner-up question to ask would be, like, what's it like having a podcast taking drop-off in the caliber of guests from Julie Alexandria to John Nolan? Is it uh, <laughs> bigger decline in terms of uh, talent or looks? There is no drop-off. You don't have – you don't have to answer that one. Listen, I already <laughs> asked my question. There is no drop-off. Every guest on the Mike Janela show is of equal caliber. I, actually, I, uh, I now that I now that I have this in common with Julie, though, actually, I need to need to reach out to her because uh, I go way back with her too. To actually having, and it's funny, off based off the conversation that you had with her, I actually met her at a Broadway show oh. way back when. There you go, Phantom of the Opera. A class of the longest-running show in Broadway history. Well, yeah, yeah. Tweet her out. Say, hey, um, you know, hey, fellow, I'll, fellow I'll, spare, I'll spare doing that. Uh, I'll spare doing that. That uh, that song from Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's how the world connects. Oh, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it's sometimes it's it's a small, big city, small world uh, around here in New York. So that's funny. But no, you guys now both have that common thread. Mike Janela show guests. So I'm glad I could make that connection happen. It's um, a yeah, it's a real real fraternity. Uh, it, it's exclusive. Fewer than 50 guests. That's uh, I mean, it's not like the 500 home run club or anything, but you know, it's something. Um, all right, John. Time for us to wrap up, and we do it with the fun five. It's five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone. So question number one. 
What's a tin cap? Yeah, that's a good question. So the tin caps are named uh, as an ode to Johnny Appleseed. So if you remember uh, learning about the, the legend of Johnny Appleseed growing up, it's based off of a, a, a real person named John Chapman who was buried in the city of Fort Wayne. And so Johnny Appleseed, you may recall, wore a pot on his head as he traveled around the Midwest planting apple seeds. Um, it was decided to not name the team the Potheads, so instead <laughs> uh, instead, then you have the Tin Caps. So it's cool how you, around modern league baseball, so many teams, uh, more and more now today, they're not just naming their team uh, you know, something generic, the Wildcats or the Bulldogs. They're, uh, they're going with something that's unique to the city that they're in. Um, and it's really cool to see how it embraced uh, it is in the community. That's awesome. That's a good, good story. Um, question number two, who's your favorite baseball play-by-play guy of all time? Of all time. Uh, well, there, there are so many uh, guys who I do look up to. And I say guys, and I wish there were more uh, or female broadcasters uh, yeah, to same. play-by-play in baseball, too. Um, but, yeah, growing up uh, a Mets fan – in the New York area listened and watched the most of uh, Gary Cohen. And so uh, I think he's as good as anyone out there. And uh, not that he's the only one I would model myself after, but when I think of baseball play by play, the first person, the first voice I hear is Gary Cohen. And uh, for Mets fans, and probably non- Howie Rose, not far behind. Sure. Yeah. I mean, those are the voices of our, of our youth. You know, I, those were summers in my teenage years uh, as they were for you. Uh, Gary, Keith and Ron have their own Instagram account now. So even if you're not a Mets fan, I would highly recommend following that joint Instagram account for Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, because it is hilarious. Uh, question number three for you, John. We mentioned travel earlier, and you know the team bus is it's kind of a kingdom. Everyone has their little areas and sections, and I'm sure you sit in the same spot every time. Maybe not, but tell me, in the hierarchy of the team bus, where do you stand? Or metaphorically, where do you stand? Sit. Literally, where do you sit? <laughs> yeah, and I think for my observations, and this goes even outside of just baseball, but, other, but also with uh, other, other sports teams that I've traveled with, when you step onto a bus uh, – um, all right, so we'll call it the left side, the the driver's seat side, and and you got the right side opposite. Uh, the head coach or the manager generally has that first seat on the right side. I think that's where you get the most leg room and a little bit of a of a tray area too. And then coaches and staff fill in behind that. So I think this is a few years running now that I'd be on the left side, the driver's side, about four seats in. So I I get that. I get that uh, upfront treatment with the uh, the coaching and training staff, and then the players are behind. And uh, some of the, some trips I travel uh, with another broadcaster, and then we'll double up. But uh, if I'm solo, then I do have the uh, the luxury of having uh, a seat, two seats to myself. And I sometimes do feel guilty about that because again, you could have a six eight guy and a six four guy uh, <laughs> sharing seats right behind me. But you know that is one of the perks of uh, of the position. You've got to protect the voice of the tin caps. That's priority Here, number here's one, one of them. us. I will. I'm a. T- I, I'm a team player, uh, and so, and this is funny, just because now what he's been able to go on to do. But there was one time where a player asked me if uh, if we could swap seats, so I'd be doubled up with another player, and he could uh, and he could uh, kind of lay down. And being a team player, I obliged. And that was Malik Smith, who's now a starting outfielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. So. 
Uh, I'm not going to take all the credit for the success that he's had in his career, but I, I mean, I'm definitely, uh, definitely a big part of the, the reason why. He would not have been able to make it to the bigs without your kind generosity uh, in the leg room game. Um, all right, John, question number four. Uh, you're a St. Joe's alum, right? St. Joseph Metuchen for high school? Mm-hmm, correct. So, Home of the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, who, whose career would you take of St. Joe's alumni between Jay Williams or Andrew Bynum? Well, that uh, at first I was going to say that would be really easy to answer based off of where they are here today, with Jay Williams being pretty prominently featured on ESPN, and I honestly don't know where Andrew is right now. I don't think um, anyone does. But yeah, Jay, though, obviously not not an easy time with uh, with the motorcycle accident that he had derailing what could have been a really flourishing NBA career. So I, I guess am I able to answer this just who I want to be today? Uh, I mean, you can interpret it how you want, because Bynum, he won two rings. He made about $70 yeah. million more dollars than Jay Williams did. I mean, I think it's a, it's a compelling argument. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, I'm more of a guard my, myself. And it's funny, I actually as a, um, I had saw Jay Williams play in school, and I had it uh, in my mind. Like, not, like I, <laughs> it's funny how when you're a little kid, you can be delusional. Like, I thought I was going to go to St. Joe's and be – an all-American basketball player and then <laughs> continue on to Duke as he did. Like that, that was, that was my plan when I was in second grade and uh, hasn't quite, hasn't quite gone that way, but yeah, I probably, if I could have the chance then to, to be Jay Williams, he was definitely one of my idols uh, in sports as a kid. So I'd have to go that route. There you go. Whereas Andrew Bynum, I was closer. I, I, I miss going to school with him by only one year when I was in eighth grade, I saw him play a lot and uh, I got to be honest, I still kind of hold it against him that, in the fourth quarter of the Greater Middlesex Conference uh, championship game against South Plainfield, he won two dunks and uh, set Plainfield. What's that? He, winning on. I lost you there for a second. He missed. He missed two dunks in the GMC uh, title game. Is in the fourth quarter. Is that what you were trying to say? Yeah. At yes, yeah, or at the rack, missed two dunks and South Plainfield went on to win on a buzzer beater. So. Uh, I've got to, I've got to hold that against him. Yeah, but John, John's not bitter at all. You know, ten years later about that whatsoever, <laughs> still holding that grudge against Andrew Bynum. Um, all right, John. Last question for you now in the fun five. You're a big Springsteen fan, as every Jersey person has to be. What's your favorite Bruce Springsteen song of all time? Yeah, and I guess I, I like to, to run as well. So "Born to Run" is is a, a a pretty natural fit then. I think that's what I tell people if I was a player and had my uh, own walk-up song, I'd go with Born to Run. So, yeah, I probably I probably wouldn't lead the league in homers, but I'd be uh, I'd be that scrappy second baseman, get on base and try to swipe a bag. Very on-brand for you as a player, as a, as a <laughs> runner. It's great. Good choice. Um, all right, John. Thanks so much, man, for taking the time. Why don't you plug where people can find you on social media and they can find Tin Cap stuff online. Just give them everything. Yeah, no, I, thank you so much for having me on. I'm just a little bit bummed we didn't get to talk Home News Tribune, uh, <laughs> where I first met you back in the day, the Gannett newspaper serving Central Jersey, or the seventh floor of Booth Hall at, yes. uh, at Syracuse, where we, we both uh, reside at, at different times. Um, yeah, and you, well, you, you if, grew up uh, wanting to be Jay Williams, and instead you like did everything I did a couple of years after. So apologies for not having, did, a, high, yeah. no, not, for not having a high bar for you to raise to. <laughs> No, I, I, hey, I would still sign up to be able to uh, to, tra- to see some of the places that you've been to have the jobs that, that you've had. So I'm still uh, I'm still a few levels away from Petco myself, 
Well, um, at this point, so am I. So don't worry about it. You're, cl- you're, clo- <laughs> you're closer than I am right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and if you uh, if you have uh, nothing better to do, uh, I'm on Twitter at John J O H N underscore G underscore Nolan N O L A N John G Nolan on social media. And hey, uh, you can listen to each and every Tin Caps game online, TinCapsRadio.com, and the TuneIn Radio app. So uh, pull up a chair and uh, tune in for a spring or summer night here this season. There you go. Awesome. And for Padres fans who really are hoping for a future better than the present, no better way to do it than by listening to Tin Caps games and seeing what's coming down the road. All right, John Nolan, Fort Wayne Tin Caps broadcaster. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Mike, my pleasure. Thanks so much. And hope to uh, get to catch up uh, in person again soon, uh, maybe in uh, in Jersey sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hope so, man. Let's make it happen. And uh, to you guys, thanks for listening. You can check out MikeJanella.com to find out more about John. I'll have links to all of his social media accounts that he mentioned. You can also listen to all previous episodes of The Mike Janella Show. And you can also subscribe. Make sure to do that and give us reviews and ratings. Uh, we got the show on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. So make sure to check all that out. And again... Again, thank you so much for joining us. I also have a second podcast that's all about pro wrestling. So if you are curious about what my week was like at WrestleMania over the weekend, look up Believe That on iTunes and all those other places, and you'll have all that as well. John Nolan, one more time. Thanks so much, my man. Thank you, Mike. See you soon. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll try and do better next time. See ya.